You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. Harry Tarantula still has all your Star Wars miniatures, all your comic books, and all your Magic the Gathering tournaments every day of the week. But now, they're making it easier for wheelchair users to come into their store because they're building an accessible washroom. This one hits home for me, you guys. I'm a person who uses a mobility scooter, and it's just easier for me to use the washroom when it's accessible. And there's a lot of comic shops, even in downtown Toronto, that don't have accessible washrooms. So I'm very proud to announce that uh, Harry Tarantula is doing what they need to do to move the needle forward and make their place more accessible for everyone. They're also building a cafe. Uh, this has been a really uh, successful thing around Toronto, marrying uh, coffee with comics, and uh, Harry Tarantula is following suit. So come on down to 3456 Young Street, show them your support, and tell them Aaron sent you. Hey, fan people. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I'm always talking about the connection between comics and coffee. It's because I love coffee. I do my French press every morning. I do the pour-over. That's why we've teamed with the superheroes at BAM Coffee, bamcoffee.ca. Their roaster, Aaron, is Canadian, he's from Saskatchewan, and he's a geek like us. That's why he's putting his clean, ethically sourced coffee in something called a BAM box. He's combining coffee with the geek swag that I know our listeners are going to love. That's 700 grams or 350 grams of coffee with art prints by local Canadian comic artists, a limited edition mug. I mean, what more could you ask for? If you want to try it, he's giving a special promo code to Speech Bubble listeners, SB15. So go to bamcoffee.ca, type in SB15 at checkout, and get 15% off your first BAM box. Hey, maybe you want to just try the coffee. That's okay too. He'll send you 150 grams of coffee, and all you gotta pay for is the shipping. I mean, that's a pretty amazing deal. So go to bamcoffee.ca and tell Aaron that Aaron sent you. You're listening to Speech Bubble. The podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. Don't forget to like us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter at Speech Bubble Pod, you found us at Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Uh, as I record this, we're just coming off of Fan Expo, and I have a guest in who just made an appearance at Fan Expo. You may know him as the artist of Southern Cross for Image. He's worked on Vampirella, Swamp Thing. He does the short WWE comics for Boom Studios. I've known him for a long, long time. He also moonlights as a professional wrestler, Bob the Animal Anger for IWS, International Wrestling Syndicate. Please welcome Andy Belanger. Sup, Aaron? How you doing? 
It's good to see you, man. We haven't had an in-depth conversation in forever, so I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you, man. Yeah, I think it's been like eight years, yeah. or maybe four years when I launched Southern Cross. I was here for a couple of days. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember. And Becky came down for a bit, too. So, yeah, yeah I, re- I remember that for sure. Uh, I first got to know you from your work on, like, Kill Shakespeare, Dead End 56 back in the day, Friday the 13th, all kinds of things. But... What was your early life like? Like, what kind of person were you as a kid? Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, a town called Kitchen-Waterloo that's about an hour west of Toronto. Um, What was I like as a kid? Pretty much like I'm now, just like pretty nuts. You know, uh, as I was growing up, it was kind of funny now that I'm a a pro wrestler because it's... uh, you know, you, you have, like, awesome gear, and my, my wrestler, you know, my Bob is very uh, uh, costume-heavy. So when I was a kid, I was also very costume-heavy. My grandmother used to make me crazy, like, superhero costumes or Ghostbuster costumes, and I was just really into, like, costumes when I was a kid. So it's kind of funny that, you know, things moved into this thing that I, you know, now have, like, a lucha mask and come in with, like you know, football shoulder pads covered in fur, and it's uh, it's pretty wild. So being a kid was, was great. I, I drew every day. I was drawing from the time I was six and never stopped. I knew that I wanted to make comic books from literally, like, the age of seven. Wow. Yeah, and I never never looked back. It was like the single driving force was to be a comic creator. Nice. What was it about comics that attracted you? I think... For me, besides my love of the Batman and Robin TV show, was when my parents split up, my dad would take me to a bookstore that's still there called KW Books. It's a secondhand bookstore in Kitchener-Waterloo. And there was a wall there of just like old comics, no bags and boards, just junky thrown in there. Uh, I think the owner at one point smoked, so the, like, the pages on the outside that were facing you were kind of yellow. And uh, I would just go in there and get, like, Creature Commando comics and Tomb of Dracula and Frankenstein, all monster horror comics. I, I didn't gravitate to superhero comics until later in life. Um, I just liked anything that had monsters. And I would sit there and read them when he looked for his marketing books. You know, he would go in there for a few hours looking for stuff to, for his career, and I would just sit there and read comic after comic after comic and then go back home and, and draw everything I saw. Um, I was also obsessed with drawing wrestlers, so I must have drawn Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, and Macho Man Randy Savage thousands of times. Wow. And so yeah. you're a big uh, horror fan as well, right? Yeah, a massive horror fan. I love horror movies. Yeah. And that, how did that come about? Did you just watch them as a kid? Um, I remember having like a singular traumatic event where I had my first sleepover at a buddy's house named Eric Smalcom, who lived like down the street. And uh, his parents from the age of like seven just were like, whatever, you can watch anything. And he had a bedroom that had nothing but Fangoria pages ripped out and put on the wall. He had every issue of Fangoria. And we watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 1. We watched uh, Friday the 13th Part 3 and Phantasm all in one night. And I remember... I don't think I'd ever been that scared in my life, <laughs> especially after Friday the 13th part three. There's that scene at the end after she's defeated Jason where she's in the boat and Jason's like pops up without his mask in the house and runs out and smashes the door open and then disappears. And then little kid Jason jumps out and grabs her into the water. 
when I was a kid, that was the scariest thing I'd ever seen. And then it just got to be where I just started to like dig the sensation of being scared. So it was like, you know, I, I just started getting into it. And by the time I was in high school, I was obsessed with horror movies. The Shining is my favorite movie of all time. Wow. I think we have similar experiences. Like, I think I saw Chucky at a, at a friend's house once. And, yeah. like, Chucky really ha- had a huge impression on me because I collected a lot of, like, figurines and dolls. So ever since I watched that, I was like, maybe they're watching me. Maybe there's something going on. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Even though it's, yeah. like, so ridiculous looking back now. But, like, Chucky was, like, a huge huge thing for me i remember watching jaws really young too and i would get scared in the swimming pool like i'd be freaked out whenever i swam and people don't realize like how who framed roger rabbit is actually a pretty scary cartoon (laughs) like christopher christopher lloyd is the villain (laughs) yeah it was like bug eyes yeah Yeah, crazy bug eyes it's pretty pretty creepy Yeah, yeah totally so anyway so like you're watching horror you're doing all that stuff you're drawing that kind of stuff yeah um what did you collect comics like hardcore or did you just read yeah, them? Yeah, I collected comics hardcore, anything that had like monsters in it. I collected big time. I collected um, the Savage Sword magazines with Conan, big time. Uh, I started getting into Batman. And then as I got older, I started like voraciously correct, uh, collecting um, Mark Bagley Spider Man's. Nice. And then I discovered Heavy Metal Magazine, and I dropped all superhero stuff, and I only read Heavy Metal Magazine from then until I was, like, in my 30s. You did a story series for Heavy Metal, like, currently under the Graham Morrison tenure with, like, Duncan Trussell, right? Yeah, yeah, I worked with Duncan Trussell. So Duncan Trussell and I have kept in touch, and I've been really busy. I, I lived in Italy this year for, for most of the year in Florence, and when I was over there... I was just listening to a, a podcast that he was doing and I randomly like called him up again or texted him and then he phoned me back. And so we've been working on this idea for like a, a Tijuana Bible that's going to be really funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So also, I just I just need time to do it. I just finished a giant project. So now I can play with that, that Duncan Trussell thing. Do you want that also to be in heavy metal or? No, no, no. Just that's just going to be for fun thing that he can hand, hand out at comedy shows. Nice, nice. Yeah. So what did you do for heavy metal with him? I did a short story that was co-written by Donny Cates. So Duncan and Donny worked together, and it was a short story called... Um, oh, geez, what was it called? Um, it was all based on uh, the idea that we're in... A, oh, it was called The Simulationists. Okay. And uh, it, we're all in a... Everything is a simulation. So it was uh, a weird sort of world where a character was wearing, like, a VR helmet and then seeing, like, this past history, but it had a lot to do with Satan. Like, there... <laughs> There's a lot of satanic and imagery and a lot of Baphomet stuff. And it was, it was really, really kind of crazy. It was short. It was only like six or seven pages. But I've worked, I've worked for Heavy Metal Magazine now, I think, uh, four or five times. And how did you get hooked up with, with them, like Duncan Trussell and Donny Cates? Um, that's a good question. I can't remember how I got that job. I think I was uh, sending my work to Jeff Krellitz, the guy who owns it. Nice. And uh, I think Donny... Uh, oh no, it was through Donnie. Donnie asked me if I wanted to do it when I was in Austin, Texas for a show. So I did one of the Wizard World shows in Austin, Texas because uh, uh, my writer on Southern Cross works lives in Austin, Texas and so does Donnie. So I was going to Austin, Texas quite a bit. So I would hang out there and Donnie said, hey, you want to do this thing for heavy metal? Yeah. And then I got really in with uh, Jeff Krellitz, the guy who runs it. And uh, yeah, I've done four or five things. 
Uh, I just finished um, the Megadeth, uh, a story for Megadeth, and the book just came out. It was called Death by Design, and Heavy Metal did this uh, big book where it's like all these different artists and writers got together to do like short stories based on songs from Megadeth, and they put it out with their new album sort of thing. And um, that's probably the best work I've ever done in my life. Wow. So that when thing you, for Megadeth. So yeah. when you were starting out, and like you said earlier that this was like, to be an artist was like a singular focus for you in comics. Yeah. yeah. So how did you make that happen for yourself? And did you ever think that you'd get to a point where you're like working with like the biggest bands and names in comics, right? Like Donny Cates is a pretty huge name. Right yeah, now. well, after Donny Cates, I did a story for Grant Morrison, and then I did a story with Dan Fogler, the actor from Fantastic Beasts wow. and Walking Dead, and then the newest one I did work with, uh, Cullen Bunn. Hmm. Um, so the heavy metal stuff has been really neat. Um, I always, I didn't know about the names, you know what I mean? But I'm a radically competitive person, right. so... I remember being 20 and going to San Diego Comic-Con and going to the Eisners and thinking, yeah, I'm going to have an Eisner in two years, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Nice. I still don't. But it, it was it was that level. I put that level of com competition on myself. So um, I'm super friendly. I, I, I'm very welcoming to everybody. But there's inside, there's like a really sort of big fire and competition going on with myself and when I see another artist that I, I just like drool over their work, there's like a little bit of me that's like, I have to be way better than that guy wow. or the, or girl. That's yeah. awesome. So then it's healthy, but did, it's, you know, did you go to Toronto for art school or like, no, I, I was, I was in London, Ontario for, okay. for fine art and film. I've, you know, I have my, uh, my, my, uh, post-secondary education is all fine art and, um, and film. And then when I went to, uh, Toronto, it was, pretty much my singular mission to get into the comics community and be working in comics. And my whole life goal from the time I was like 11 was to work for DC comics. So when I did Friday the 13th, which had been, which is Jim Lee's studio, it had been bought out by DC. Right. So Wildstorm. basically I was working Wildstorm. So I was basically working for DC when I was 27 and, um, it was so funny because like that was my life goal is to do that and I did it and I was like okay now what yeah totally <laughs> so yeah. from a technical standpoint like did you learn a lot from fine art school or are you mostly self taught like you have a very distinct uh, completely style, yeah completely self taught but you know going back to those horror comics you know EC comics my style is was very influenced by Jack Davis um, you know early early horror creators. Um, that kind of stuff. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So when I met you, I met you at a convention and you were doing Dead End 56 and I remember distinctly... That, you know, dude, that was like 16 years ago. I, I It's crazy. <laughs> I, and I that was like 16 years ago. That's pretty crazy. And I remember it because yeah. you had an old car, you had a whole yeah. rockabilly thing, you'd hired, I guess, two girls to like have like roller skates on. Yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. So I got you. a... There was a guy that had, uh, I don't know if they're still there, but he had a series of secondhand clothing stores in uh, Kensington called Flashback. And that guy has a massive collection of 50s cars. And uh, I'd met him through going to Kensington Market all the time and going to his stores. And I love, like, vintage clothing. And um, 
I was talking to the guy and he showed me his cars and I was like, hey, can I rent one for a Comic-Con and sell my comics out of the trunk? And he thought that was like the coolest thing. And so did the Paradise guys. So we got the car in there and then my girlfriend and her friends had started the first roller derby league in Toronto. Wow, really? Yeah. So they came out in their roller skates and they were handing stuff out. And that actually, that singular show, when you saw that, is what got me invited into the raid studio pretty much. Because those guys all came over and they're like, oh, look at this dude with the car and the, the chicks. Like, <laughs> So they would come over and talk to me and I'd be like, hey, I'm having a kegger tonight. You should probably come to my place on Grace and come to a kegger. And there's lots of girls there. So from then on, they're like, let's let's hang out with this dude because, you know. Yeah, he, he knows where the party's at. Yeah, I've yeah. always kind of, always kind of, even in high school, I've always been kind of like a, the party guy. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then I remember, like, I did a profile of Matthew Black Bastard Muhammad, and you guys used to live together. So then yeah. we spent a little bit of time to, together because I was friends with Matthew. So that's sort of how I, I've known you over the years. It's funny because the Paradise Show, when I saw you, was the first comic convention that I ever went to in, in Toronto. That was and, your first one, and that was the one where I had the car. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. And like, right on. And like, ever probably. Yeah. Right on. There's not. There wasn't any comic conventions in Vancouver at that time, and I just moved to Toronto for Ryerson. So it's interesting yeah. how things connect it's crazy so was dead end 56 like the first comic that you did it's or? the first thing i put together yeah okay i've okay. been doing comic pages and little things before that like even in my my early 20s i was always trying to make comics and put stuff together with writers and things and it all you know i just i don't know, didn't know what i was doing yet That's awesome. and uh, by the time i did dead end 56 which was i wrote which was all based on a dream i had and my grandparents creepy house um, Tell me about that. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I had this dream that I, I found all these kids in the basement of my, my grandparents' creepy house, and my grandfather kind of creeped me out. <laughs> and he was a florist. So I remember having these, like, really wacky uh, memories of, like, uh, my grandfather's house that was, like, all pastel colors and, like, fake floral arrangements, like, everywhere and plastic on the carpet and... Yeah, I just had this dream that like he he was keeping kids in the basement. It it's kind of little shop of horrors, a little. Totally, bit. yeah, totally. <laughs> and then at the time, I was very rockabilly, so I was obsessed with Elvis and Marilyn Monroe and yeah, all that kind of. I, like, I remember you had the hair, like yeah, you had, yeah, like, I had slick like, back hair yeah, and stuff. Like, yeah, I had the whole rockabilly thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. yeah. I feel like I'm still a little rockabilly inside. Yeah. Nice. So then after that. Uh, I think you were just doing like indie stuff. Like what, what happened after dead end 56, you joined the raid studio. I joined the raid studio and I was doing little, little jobs here and there. And then I got, there was an old comic company called Moonstone and I got some gigs where I was, uh, they were publishing a werewolf comic I was going to do. Yeah. Wolf, right? Yeah. And then I also did, um, coloring for that whole line. So I colored the whole line and I did wolf. And what's funny is while I worked on that giant project over about a year, I got that's when I got picked up for Friday the 13th. So actually, Friday the 13th came out before Wolf. Oh, okay. I'd already drawn Wolf and colored it, right. but it just didn't get published yet. Right. And then I did Friday the 13th. And Moonstone was like one of those little companies. Yeah, it was like a little come company. Along and sort yeah. of struggle and like yeah, totally. kind of peter out. You but, know? The, but the whole Friday the 13th thing was really great because yeah. we got invited down to San Diego Comic Con. Like the raid guys, um, there was a bunch of us, and we went to um, DreamWorks first because we were all getting sort of courted to go work at DreamWorks 
on what became Megamind. So oh. Megamind before that was going to be a very Kirby-influenced movie. It was going to be like Kirby animation. Right. And there's a Scooby-Doo movie that came out recently with Kiss. Right, yeah, yeah. Right? And, I, and it's so Kirby, that whole movie. I was like, that's probably what we were going to do right. um, for Megamind, that yeah. kind of idea. And, um, and then it became like a TV series, didn't it? Megamind? I, I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, from, from Megamind, right after that, we went and visited um, Wildstorm. And all my friends were, and we met Ben Abernathy, uh, who's an editor at DC. He's back at DC, and he just uh, edited the Deceased line. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, that, that they put out right now. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine, good buddy of mine. Uh, but I met him there, and my buddies were all asking him for work when we were on the Wildstorm tour. And I went in his office, and it was just like my buddy's bedroom when I was a kid, full of, like, horror memorabilia the same dude you watch the horror movies with yeah Yeah. but this guy's office was like the equivalent yeah so it was all horror movie stuff like jason figurines and nightmare on elm street and i was right at home and the two of us just started talking horror movies you know and my friends are all just listening to me like talk about horror movies with this guy there's like six of us in the room and then he's like hey i have an extra issue of uh friday 13th do you want to you want to start on that and i was like yep that's and all awesome. my friends who are asking him for work are like, wait a second, wait a second, how did Andy come in here and scoop this game? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Who and then from the- then on, they won't invite me out if they're going to hang out with editors. <laughs> they're like, that guy's too much of a talker. Yeah, you're too magnanimous. Yeah, yeah, Shut yeah. up, we're yeah, trying to get work. Yeah, yeah. Who was in the Raid studio at the time that you were with them? Well, when I came in, it was just after the first crew left, which was Kagan. Uh, Chip. Chip. Chip was still there when I was there. Okay. When I started. Cameron Stewart. Cameron was there. Um, uh, ben Shannon. Ben Shannon was there. And uh, Roberta, who was um, Chip's ex-wife. Yeah, okay. So that that was that's who started it. Right. And Kagan was there when I got there, but he like just left. Okay. So I think we always have this debate where Ramon thinks he was in Raid Studios for like three years before <laughs> I got there. But really, I think it was only a couple months. Okay. He had just moved in with them pretty much. It might have been like four or five months, maybe two months even. But, like, when I came in, uh, it was me and Ramon. Uh, Kagan was there but leaving. Um, Chip was still there. Ben was still there, but I think Ben left at the same time around when Kagan left. Roberta was still there. Everyone was still there when I got there. But right. they, they, were, they all left sort of, like, within the first couple weeks. Right. And then uh, when I came in, then we got uh, Scott Hepburn came in. And um, Kagan, or sorry, Kalman came in. Um, who else was with us? Eric Kim, Kim came in a little bit after that. But that was it. That was yeah. like the crew. Some of them are still there. Like Kalman's still there. Kalman's still there. And, still and, there. and Scott's still there. And, and Ramon and Cameron came back mm-hmm. after years of being gone in Montreal Germany. and Berlin. Yeah. 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 So I basically left uh, Raid to go join Carl Kershaw. Carl Kershaw was in the studio too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went. He did that. Uh, they, he was, when they did the Transmission X thing, he did the abominable yeah, Charles Christopher. Yeah, which he still works on. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. this, this, Sixteen years later. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he's won awards for that. But mm-hmm. he was working on Teen Titans at the time. So uh, yeah, so Carl moved to Montreal, and I ended up joining the studio that Cameron and Carl joined. But Cameron moved out of the the Lunac studio, Montreal studio, a month before I got there. And you're with Lunac now? No, Carl and I just left. So I spent most of this year in Italy, in Florence. He went to Japan, and we're in the process of this month opening a new studio for October 1st. 
just you founding it, basically? Yeah, yeah, me and Carl. So yeah. what's the vision for that studio? Uh, comics, animation, and um, we're starting a poster business. Nice. What yeah. was different about being with Lunac versus Raid? Because I always find with Montreal, especially with art, it's sort of higher brow just because it's Montreal and like... The thing know. with Montreal is it's easier to brand yourself because your overhead's so low. Right. Right? So I could do whatever I want. I could really concentrate on things that interested me. Mm-hmm. And from doing that, it really... Um, like in Toronto, I had to have four or five styles just to like make ends meet. Right. Right. I'd have to have like so a kid style. I'd have to have an illustrator style. I'd have to have a comic style. I'd have to all this, and no one knows what to hire me for. Right. So when I went to Montreal, I just became myself. Nice. Which was great. And you moved there just to save money, basically. Yeah, or? pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I moved there with a with a girl at the time, and. You know, it, it was kind of in the middle of everywhere we lived, and we found out how cheap it was and the quality and size of apartments there and stuff. And we're like, the, why aren't we living here? It's stupid. So uh, I moved there, and I started doing whatever I wanted. And f- from then on, it was just like my, my career skyrocketed from being in Montreal. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So how did you – so now you're going to found a new studio kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you trying to make that different or you just want like another studio to work in with your, with your buddies? And um, no, we, we definitely have like, uh, you know, it is going to be the regular comic book studio. Right. Right. But we're definitely moving into avenues of larger business. Nice. So not just comic books. We're going to get into some other stuff. Like Carl loves video games. Carl loves animation as, as I do. So we're going to start playing in some other pools a little bit besides our regular comics that we will never stop making comics. We're obsessed. Right. Right. But we'll, we're going to try some other stuff too there. Nice. Yeah. So one of the things that you're known for, particularly in Toronto, because the other parts of the creative team are from there. Uh, and I think, like, when you hit for me, I think, like, you know, having known you for since the beginning, but then you got, like, this really huge regular gig was Kill Shakespeare. I yeah. Feel like, for me, that was like, oh, Andy's doing, like, a regular book, and it's pretty it's pretty big kind of thing. Um, let me – I know that Kill Shakespeare has this weird backstory because it, it was, like, pitched as, like, at, like, a film festival as part of – as part of like a movie idea, I think by Anthony Del Cole and like Connor McCreary, but then it like turned into a comic book. How did they hook up with you to do uh, to do Kill Shakespeare? Well, they approached Cameron. Okay. At Raid, and okay. Cameron was too busy, so he's like, "Hey, do you want to try this?" And I needed, at that time, I needed to do a lot of work on a regular basis on one series to like get out there. I was doing a lot of little things here and there, mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah. And it's not what I needed to be on something regular and big, not just because of money, but because a, it's how you learn, you know, by doing your thousand pages B, um, I just, I needed it. I needed to be on something regularly. Um, I really wanted to be on long format storytelling. Right. And these guys had raised the money with uh you know private investors and they got i think they got like a, a grant from that yeah, thing yeah cuz they won the pitch contest yeah they won well they won the pitch contest so um that was sort of how that started so we we started that first issue and that first issue those guys did a ton of legwork when it came to marketing they did a really good job and comic companies traditionally don't market or or well 
Yeah. You know, they know how to they know how to put out a number one, but and a poster and and a poster, but yeah. they don't really know how to keep a series going. Yeah. So uh, these guys, uh, you know, they work really hard on marketing that that series nice. in different avenues too. They were really working on trying to get new readers. Um, they probably should have worked on, you know, getting the the regular community to to buy in. You know what I mean? Right. Like the guys that would buy, read Batman. Yeah. They, you know? Yeah. They, they spent a lot of time because they wanted to make a movie trying to get people to read who weren't in comics. Right. And I, you know, if they had gone the other way first, it could have still been going. Right, right. Yeah. And it, it kind of spun off for a while. Like they had a Kill Shakespeare kind of sequel series and that sort of thing. Yeah, I did four trades for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I imagine they might do, they'll probably do more at some point, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't worked on that series, I think, in, I don't know, six, seven years. Yeah, yeah. So then that happened, and then the next thing I heard about was Southern Cross. Yeah, so I was in Montreal, and I really wanted to do something for Image. Image had just sort of like broken out with all the creators from Marvel, right? They had scooped up a bunch of creators from Marvel, uh, offered them page rates and some good deals and really got eyes on their stuff. Guys like Jason Aaron and Jason Latour, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Lemire, Jeff Lemire and Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona and they were kicking butt. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, even before they started, I, I was like, I think image is going to be huge again. I'm still in that mode where I'm like, I have like these, these goals where I was like, I, I know how to make image gigantic again if you know they would listen to some of the, the ideas so they were doing that so i worked really hard to get something going i was trying to get something going with steve niles and 30 I, days of night yeah so mm -hmm. i'd come up with this idea about something that would be uh you know ridley scott alien sort of claustrophobic space low tech you know like they're even using like crt monitor computers and all that old sort of stuff. I just wanted to draw wires and cables and pipes and people in work gear and like the set of the original alien. Kind of yeah. Thing. I really wanted to work in that world. Uh, there's another great movie uh, with Sean Connery called outland. Or is it? Yeah, it's outland. And he's in space as like a, a space sheriff. <laughs> Whoa. And it's awesome. And it's just like, it, it's a Western in space, but it feels exactly like that alien movie. Nice. And um, uh, there was a comic for it, too, that was pretty dope. Nice. Uh, I got to check it out. Yeah, yeah. So I was really – I really wanted to do that. So I was drawing, 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 and I would call Steve and try and get him, like, really interested in the idea. And he kind of, like, wrote me a few pages. And uh, I was drawing, like, on my – and on my drafting table at the studio, I was drawing these giant space stations and ships and all these characters for it that I wanted to draw – and uh, Steve wrote a few pages, and I put a pitch together, and I pitched uh, – I literally, like, would hunt Eric down at shows. Yeah, Eric Stevenson, the publisher, in case you don't know. Yeah, at Image. And I finally kind of tracked him down at uh, Thought Bubble in Leeds. And he knew I would, I'd been looking for him. And he kind of, like, went through the pitch, and he said, okay, if, you know, you can get Steve to write it, I'll, I'll publish it, and I'll give you a page rate, and whatever, whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. And uh, so then Steve uh, moved to Texas, and his uh, his house got destroyed. 
What? Like they moved, they lived there for a few months, and a flood came in and wiped out their new house. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, literally, it was it's like the worst. Man. It was the worst. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, he ended up uh, not being able to write it, and I was like, "Listen, I have my dream gig. You just have to do it." And he just, he just couldn't. So then Becky Cloonan was in the studio with us in Montreal, and she said, hey, I'll, you know, I'll write it for you. And I was like, okay, cool. And then when I told Eric that Becky was writing it, Eric flipped out and kind of gave us whatever we wanted. I ended up getting, like, double the page rate. And He just loved yeah. Becky? And it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Becky, Becky's work was really hot at the time. Nice. You know, so they were, like, really pumped about doing that book. And Southern Cross won, like – was big for us. Yeah. You know, wow. in, in that climate, we were like at, uh, at something like 32,000 copies for issue one, which is, is, was big at that time for right. something this niche and indie. And uh, it was doing really well for us. It was really cool. And you were collaborating with her, like you're in the same studio. Mm-hmm. You're also in a relationship. Is it different, like when you're working with your like partner on something? Well, we had split up by the time Southern Cross started. Okay. Um, but we we were like best friends. Yeah. So uh, was it different? No, it's it no, good. It's the same. Yeah, she knows me really well. She knows what uh well, how I work and it's kind of good, my, right? My there's brain there's works. like a yeah. synergy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thing so she knew she knew what to do. Nice. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. So that 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 all went well. Cool. Yeah. Good. 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 So then Southern Cross happens. I mean, it's still it's still out there. You can like pick it up from Image and that kind yep. of thing. Do you have any further plans for Southern Cross? Well, we were we were. Some stuff sort of went down, and we both got busy. I think Becky got really busy, so she didn't have time to write it. Yeah, she was so, doing, like, Punisher. Yeah, so yeah. It, the writing of that kind of, like, got pushed aside a little bit, and then Image went, okay, uh, you know, finish four issues, and we'll do it. And then both of us got really busy. But there's big stuff happening with Southern Cross that I can't talk about Okay. on the podcast. When that is finalized... We'll come out with more comic books to finish the trade that we're working on now and then some other stuff. But um, that's when I moved to uh, TKO, which is a new company out of Los Angeles. I'm doing a comic book for them called Pound for Pound with uh, Natalie Chaidez, who uh, is like a TV producer and writer. And then, uh, yeah, so that's what I've been doing for the last year I, I kept... while Southern Cross is on high ideas. Okay, yeah. cool. So I kept hearing about TKO of like we have a small company but we have all these famous comic book uh, writers and artists that you know that are working for us or doing stories for us. Yeah. Tell people about TKO cuz I basically heard them as like a rumor on social media and like seeing all the people that they have kind of collaborating with them is pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm in the second wave now uh, with uh, Jeff Lemire has a book too. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they're amazing. They just uh, it's probably my Best experience working in comics. Uh, my editor, Sebastian Gurner, is, like, so dope. He, like, I don't think I've ever worked with an editor where I was actually excited to work with an editor. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, like, really cool. He's really into everything. He's got amazing ideas. And so he catches all my stupid mistakes where it's like, hey, she has a hat in this scene and not that one, dude. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and um, the the they they... You know the pay is great. The the they give me as much time as I need to to do the best work I can do. Um, I just finished all all the interiors for the the six issues, and they're bigger issues than regular comics. 
um, like two weeks ago. So I'm I'm wrapping up the last two covers and I'm done and it comes out in October. Nice. Can you um, tell us a little bit about the, Pound for Pound? Oh yeah. Well, Pound for Pound. How do I describe Pound for Pound? As a comic reader, you might think it feels a little bit like Punisher, but with a with a like a kick-ass lady MMA character named uh, Danny, and um, it feels a little bit like Punisher meets Breaking Bad sort of thing. Like the the world is very like on the border of Texas and Mexico, and she takes on like the cartels and like satanic cults and stuff like that in the book, and it's uh it's really cool. The writer is is a uh, is intense um she does queen of the south right now on netflix oh, she's yeah, a showrunner yeah. and writer and yeah. she used to write for uh the terminator tv show wow Sarah yeah Connor chronicles. yeah Sarah Connor chronicles so she, what's funny is you know a lot of a lot of um female writers when you read them try to take a softer edge because of years and years of hardcore 90s Whatever, but not not Natalie. She's like John Milius on a lot of cocaine. Like, <laughs> her funny. work is like, and then she runs in and takes a gun and stabs him through the head with a gun. And I'm like, whoa, hey, wow. this stuff is crazy. It's like hobo with a shotgun. Yeah, it feels like hobo <laughs> with a shotgun. It's crazy violent. It's like, you know, it's got sex and violence and just wild stuff. She's she's gnarly. Like, yeah, it's really funny getting the scripts because it's like full blast. It's like Rambo wrote it. You wow. know what I mean? Yeah, it's really, really cool. So look for that in October. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to get kind of into your technical process. Like, what's your... Like, what's your drawing technique like? Like, how do you structure your day in terms of doing art and that sort well, of stuff? Well, I break up the jobs. So when I get the script, I'll break down the script into thumbnails to start off with. Like, little little sort of, like, you know, I'll have, like, a, a page of computer paper with four pages of comic on it. And I read the script and, like, kind of pull out all the panels and the storytelling and everything I want to do and, like, these crude, rough drawings and, uh, you know, I'll spend maybe like three days on that, three, four days on, on pulling all that apart. And then I'll go into penciling and I'll pencil the book. And that'll probably take like two weeks from my thumbnails. I just blow up the thumbnails digitally and then uh, do my penciling. And then it takes about another two weeks for me to, to ink the rest of the book. And most of the stuff I do is in the inks. Nice. And you're also like in addition to being like an amazing horror fan... You're also an amazing wrestling fan, and you're doing, like, WWE comics, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, four years ago, I started wrestling. Okay. Uh, How did you get into that? Um, so, I moved to Montreal, and Montreal is a gigantic wrestling town. I think we've got, like, ten feds. Um, people are insane about wrestling in Montreal. You, there's wrestling matches all weekend, every weekend. And... I was hanging out and doing a lot of work with Ubisoft. So I did a trailer for Ubisoft for Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon. I did that trailer and we won some awards and I did the animation for that. That's and amazing. I met a guy named Dean Evans who was like the, the creative director there. And we became really good uh, friends. He's just a wild man. We ended up going to uh, a wrestling events Battle War on Sundays at Fufon Electrique in Montreal, which is like a heavy metal, gigantic heavy metal club. And then we would go to IWS that was would be on Saturdays once a month. And uh, we would never miss an event. We'd go and drink our faces off and scream at wrestlers and beat each other up. And it was the most fun ever. And uh, I got really into it. And so for Battle War, I started doing like posters and T-shirts for guys. And I met a guy named uh, Shane Hawk, 
uh, Andrew Stott, who writes all my WWE stuff. Okay. And uh, he's like, I'm starting a school. You should come out. So I came out to the wrestling school and tried it like a couple times. And then I had a lot of work. So it took sort of like six months off and um, came back after six months. He kind of bugged me. And I've been there for four years at the wrestling school. Once or twice a week, I'll go train. And uh, it was all Andrew. So I cool. think it was my second practice match. I was hooked. Wow. So if you have a spectrum for wrestling, on one ha- side you have theater, and the other side you have sport, I'm really good at the theater side. <laughs> like, really good. I can get a crowd going. I can go crazy. I got a wild costume. I can, I'm a real ham in the ring. I know how to do that kind of stuff. And it's taken four years for me to try and get the, the sport part to like the same level. When I used to watch you do like dodgeball, you were like running like wrestling promos then. Like you, yeah, were, yeah, like, yeah. I was kind of like a wrestler then. I was like a, a bad guy heel. Yeah, yeah. In dodgeball, yeah. Like I was telling you earlier, I really like to hit people in the face and wear glasses. Yeah. With a like, dodgeball, especially girls. People it, didn't yeah, know it was a work. Like you no, were no, no, no. They, they were, they, yeah. they just thought I was the biggest a hole they'd ever met. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Yeah, especially because they, after a bit, like when the game started, if someone had glasses, they started to be like, "That guy's trying to hit me in the face." <laughs> yeah, I do it on purpose. I'm like, just the look of someone when their glasses get smashed off their face. It's just like they they hate you with every fiber of their being. And I felt like Ric Flair. So then you're doing the. You're like, I've already done this theater for like the dodgeball. So sort it of, comes yeah. naturally. Yeah, but I mean, like, I was obsessed with wrestling as a kid. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I used to beat the crap out of my brothers and my buddies. And every day after school, we would come home and play NES Royal Rumble. Every day after school, me and my, my three buddies, because I had four controllers, and we'd do it, and, t- and it would last maybe like an hour, and then we would just like clear out my living room and beat the crap out of each other, and that, I think that's what started it. I just like got, uh, you know, I'm the oldest brother of five, so it's like I'm just really into that sort of like wrestling and kind of like that that fun bullying. And backyard brawl. Backyard brawling. Uh, you know, I uh, love all that stuff uh, and always have. So when I got went to Montreal and saw this stuff going on and I started becoming friends with the wrestlers, I was it just like that whole part of my childhood came out. And um, yeah, now I started wrestling. Wrestling is incredibly difficult. It's like really challenging. Yeah, what do you learn? Like, I guess to take a bump first is like the main thing, right? Yeah, taking bumps is easy. Okay. You know, it's not always fun, mm-hmm. but uh, it's easy. And that part isn't too bad. Taking bumps isn't too bad. Like a lot of – and. There's a t- it's funny because when you talk to veteran wrestlers that have been doing 10, 15 years, they're like, you have a bump clock. There's only so many bumps you can take. And we're all on the bump clock. So a lot of times when I'm in the ring wrestling a veteran guy, they don't want to bump at all, like ever, if they have to. Because I'm a new guy. They don't want to have to bump to me. They want to have to bump to like someone serious. Yeah. Right? So I remember when I won my first belt, my trainer, uh, Matt Lee, who is, is also known as Big Magic, he uh, he had like multiple matches that day when I won my belt off him, and I uh, the tournament tournament last year, and I really think he just didn't want to bump because he had to do it way more that night. So he's like, I'm just gonna beat the crap out of you for this whole match, and maybe at the end you'll get to do your finisher. Maybe you just roll me up. So like, <laughs> so I got beat up. I got like like you know like clotheslined into the gravel. Like it was a gnarly gnarly match, and um, he's now in uh, NXT. Wow, that's three, uh, Team 3.0. So what is it yeah. like going from like a wrestling fan to like 
seeing all the back room stuff and knowing all the secrets that you kind of wanted to know. As well, I, I think my initial thing was I did it because I want to make the greatest wrestling comic of all time. And things are happening after TKO where uh, contracts are in the works, so it might be happening. That's amazing. If it happens, I don't want to like jinx it, and I can't talk about it too much. But I got offered like this this thing that if it's it's like too good to be true, and if it happens, I'm gonna make the greatest wrestling comic ever. So my idea was I want to get into wrestling so that I learn the language because they have their own sort of like language for things. It's very carny based. Um, I want to learn what it's like to be a wrestler, to feel like a wrestler, so that I want to make the comic, I can really do it. And then I just got hooked on being a wrestler. Nice. Like that stuff is the most fun ever. I love the training. I lost 45 pounds in the last like two years. Wow. Like all my beer from like when you know me at 179 yeah. is like gone. That's amazing. And that's pretty much all. You know, I don't eat badly but i i drink badly so it was like i had all that beer beer weight to get rid of um so it, it's a you know it keeps me crazy in shape go to the gym three days a week go to wrestling training once or twice a week do a match on weekends nice. you know and it's 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 kind of this thing that i'm a, a obsessed with now and really i think wrestling has been the healthiest thing for me because when i was making comics i have that competitive edge and it, it felt like it was turning into a disease. In what way? I, w I would get so angry and negative over the speed of my career. Um, you know, maybe I didn't, this guy got this gig. This guy got this gig. This happened here. I wish I had done that. You know, a lot of that, the stuff, things that you can't control. Right. I would get angry at those things that I can't control and think I'm not working hard enough. So I already sleep four or five hours a night because I'm obsessed with work. I'm obsessed with that kind of stuff. And it, I feel like it was getting really negative mm -hmm. in my life, like uh, in my late 30s, yeah. uh, especially around the time I was 35. And, you know, just just around the, the, the sort of like time before when I was working on Kill Shakespeare to the end of Southern Cross, I felt like I was getting very negative in my life because I wanted more. I felt like I just couldn't get there or something. Right. You know? Um, and, I, you know, and I'm obsessed with becoming better mm -hmm. all the time. You know, and the guys you talk to in Toronto, they'll tell you, like, you know, a lot of guys, they start making artwork and they don't want critiques. They don't want to talk about it. I'm like the guy that's like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? How do I get this better? How do I make this better? I'm right. obsessed with improvement. Super ambitious. Yeah. yeah. And I started wrestling and it kind of took my mind off that. It let me relax in my work. Yeah. Like, I, now I just, I do my work. And I'm still have that same obsession, but now I don't get mad about it. Right, because you, your aggression goes somewhere else. My aggression, and same with my relationships. You yeah. know, like I'm I'm married, and uh, if I'm mad at my wife, all it takes is me going to wrestling practice and like clotheslining three people, and I feel amazing. That's how I feel, <laughs> dude. That's how I feel about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, like I have yeah. to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because you get. I think as a dude, you get kind of pent up and you get frustrated about like. Well, we're little, we're we're animals at heart stuff. that are supposed to run and hunt, right, right, and fight and yeah. these things. Yeah. And um, my my heritage is Viking, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like it's like I feel like there's a piece of me that's like I should be in war. You know what I mean? Right. Even doing comics, my whole mentality is just like war yeah, i'm gonna I kill need, the next I, guy yeah i gotta crush this i gotta it's very and i can't i'm not like a i'm not a peaceful person you right. know what i mean I, like i am but like inside i'm not yeah 
and I'm trying to, and wrestling has definitely given me an outlet to, to do that stuff. Is that how the character came? Like the animal? Because it's like the animal inside straight up, you? Yeah, straight up. Yeah, kind of. Straight up, uh, uh, I give the entire thing of my character pretty much to my, my buddy, uh, Andrew Shane Hawk, yeah. who was in Chikara. Right. He was like a big Chikara guy. And he's wrestled like Demolition and like Cesaro and like he's wrestled everybody. And uh, he's fantastic. He's an amazing writer. Um, and because I was so out of shape, every time I would go to do a move, like if I had to do up and overs over the ropes or something, I would scream. I would just be like, ah, and run into it to get myself pumped up to, to do the thing. And uh, they just started calling me the animal at the school. And then I was like, hey, I can make a character out of this. So I made the character. The, and even in the ring, I would, I would act kind of like an animal. And my character is still always like growing and changing Right, like a lot of people want me to be like George the Animal Steel, and I think in my mind I want to be Animal from Road Warriors, you know. Right, right, <laughs> so yeah. I get to be this weird amount, but my body type is a little bit more like Gold Dust, so yeah. I'm kind of like this cross between almost all the animals in wrestling and, of course, Gold Dust. Nice, I'm nice. obsessed with Gold Dust. And your character was a Lucha Libre mask. Yeah, yeah, I love masks. I'm obsessed with Lucha Libre masks. I'm obsessed with drawing them. Nice. They're they're like a, a guy on the weekend this this weekend asked me for Thunderlager like Justin Thunderlager and it had to be like the greatest thing anyone's ever asked me for <laughs> I got so pumped that's awesome. I was like are you are you for real he's like yeah 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 Lager I was like do you have any idea how much I love Thunderlager like oh, oh. And I, I freaked out and I just love wrestling masks I'm kind of even though it's like a like I told you about the spectrum of yeah. theater to sport. Yeah. Right? I just love Mexican wrestling and, and Japanese wrestling. It's so dope. Yeah. And, and I, the big thing in, in Montreal and North America is just to be a guy. Yeah. And I don't uh, like – and that's cool. You know what uh, I mean? That's very much the sport end of this thing. Right. But it, for me, it feels like everyone's trying to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, I, I want to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. But I also find it boring. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I would go to these wrestling events and be like, oh, here's another guy in black trunks. Oh, here's just another dude. <laughs> yeah. You're just another guy. Yoked guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can do some moves, but, like, you don't interest me. Yeah. There's no story to you. Right. There's no mystery. There's right. no, like, there's no pageantry, like, the macho man, you know? There's yeah. none of that stuff. When I watched wrestling, I was really into the freaks, like, the canes and the mankind. Me too. The me too. Dust. Completely. Yeah. I'm a hardcore, yeah. hardcore mankind fan. Yeah. Um, I've met Mick Foley a bunch of times. Yeah, I've nice. been on 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 po uh, uh, panels yeah. at Comic Cons with Mick Foley. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's really dope. So so then like yeah, because you're sort of into that, like the people that interest you, like that's how that's how my character yeah. evolved into this crazy costumed freak. Yeah, and I heard that like Rey Mysterio wore your <laughs> yeah. Lucha Libre mask on it, WWE television. It was weird. Yeah, all my friends were like texting me to like turn it on and check out Rey Mysterio. I don't think that was on purpose. I know really? he's into comics, but I don't think it's on purpose. But like one of the events, I think it was last year or maybe the year before, he came out and looked like, besides the shoulder pads, his gear looked exactly like my gear pretty well, much. He had like the like faux hawk he even thing. Had the, he even had it, the mohawk thing. The same yeah. color scheme. Yeah, the black and white color scheme yeah. with like the, the, the animal print. Yeah, it was – he has so many costumes that I, I – if if it was a copy, I'd be like crazy surprised. Did do you think there's any possibility that he just like came across you offhandedly and then forgot? Well, he about did it? a giant wrestling event 
in IWS years ago for un, uh, uh, unsanctioned. Right. We have a giant event every year in March called unsanctioned, and it happens at a gigantic club in Montreal. You can fit like a couple thousand people in this thing. And uh, he did one of those, but I don't think the animal was around at that time. The animal was just uh, starting okay. in training. So I don't think at that event he would have seen it. If he would have seen it, it would have been probably like online or something. Are you guys on TV? Yeah, event? yeah. So we have a okay. we have two TV deals with RDS two, which is kind of like French TSN. Yeah. And then now we have one that just started on the Fight Network, which is national. Nice, nice. Yeah. And is it is it English? Is it French? Is it both? Uh, Fight Network is English, so we have to have two sets of announcers now. We have to have English announcers and French announcers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are you are you mastering French? Are you? I'm trying. Okay. I'm trying because if I knew. If I knew Quebec French really well, I'd get along with like the the veteran wrestlers in my league probably a lot better. Right, right, right. Yeah, like the Vern Gagne type type people. Well, like, yeah, the, yeah, the guys at the top. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, your your yeah. your you know TDTs and your Bentals and you know those guys. They're all very French, and but I love them. They're like they're so good. They're <laughs> so so good, and I've worked with all of them. And I, I learn a lot from working with them. And um, you know the the guys that started IWS. Uh, Manny, PCP Crazy Manny, it's his league, and then Green Phantom and Sexy Eddie and Andrew. These guys have taught me, like, so much, and they're, like, good buddies of mine. I, I love them all. IWS is, like, my little family. It's weird. The, 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 the community in wrestling is so much tighter than comics. Yeah? Well, way, I guess... way tighter because, because you put your body in harm's way with these people. They right. want to take care of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... Um, we're just kind of like, it feels tighter and friendlier. Right, right. Because once you've been to a war with someone, like you kind of feel closer to them sort of thing. Sort of. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you don't want to hurt them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Well, a little bit sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you're like, I'm going to punch your face. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so happy for you. Like, I feel like you've, you've figured out your life a little bit. Like you just had a kid. Too. Yeah. I've got a two year old Mia danger. Was yeah. that awesome? That's the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, it was the craziest thing ever. I was there. I, I almost caught her, you know, <laughs> coming out. Uh, I, I had no idea that I was going to ever have a kid. I was like, f I think I was 39, almost 40. And it was like, oh, you're having a kid. I'm like, holy crap. All right, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife's like, we didn't plan any of this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's not really how life works. You don't really plan anything. You yeah. just go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I'm glad like things are working out for you, man. Is yeah, man, I'm like a gigantic child. Is there anything else uh, that you uh, want to talk about before we let you go? Is there anything coming up? That well, you I mean, wanna... TKO's coming out in October, right? the pound for pound. So check that out. I'm mm -hmm. going to be at New York Comic Con uh, all weekend um, promoting that. So that's going to be dope. New York Comic Con's in October. I'm sure everybody knows that, I think right? it's like the first or second weekend in October. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to be there for that. That's going to be big. And um, I'm going to have a ton of announcements there. Yeah, it's going to be some like new work, new, new projects, and new stuff is going to be coming out at New York. Is it is it hard to balance wrestling with being an artist? Um, no, because I don't sleep. Okay. <laughs> right. Ask. Uh, is it hard for the Rock? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You look at the Rock, and it's like <laughs> I that guy. That five. guy is every single place you can imagine. So yeah, I don't sleep. I sleep four or five hours a day. Right. Right. So I will draw all day, hang out with my family, go to wrestling practice, come home at ten thirty, and then draw till four. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm so pumped after wrestling, either a match or practice, that I will 
draw for another six hours. Yeah, I after. can't sleep. I got to do this. Uh, yeah. uh, like you're just attacking. Yeah, yeah. yeah Your yeah. whole life, you're just attacking. Just it's attacking. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, at Andy Belanger on Instagram. And if you type my name, Andy Belanger, into Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you'll see Bob Anger pop up. And uh, I don't know. Andy Belanger might die and just Bob Anger takes over. So that might be like your whole persona for everything? Yeah. I think Andy's going to disappear. Wow. And Bob Anger's going to take over. I kind of can't wait for that moment. And I yeah. can't wait for the reaction of like the old guard comic industry to be like, what? What's this? He was Andy Belanger. <laughs> now he's this. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't wait to, for that time. Yeah, happen. I don't. I don't feel like being Andy anymore. Uh, that's just for like my wife and my kid. Right. I think uh, Bob's gonna like take over. Well, I'm privileged. It's kind of like Twin Peaks. Like Bob's taking over. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm privileged to have known you when, and thank you so much for coming in. Oh well, thank you. It's been a long time since we got to chat. It's really cool. This is the best, man. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. Bye. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network is hosted by me, Aaron Broverman, and features audio editing from Armin Zoberi. It has announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward, with graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.